Views expressed on this program are those of the sponsors and do not necessarily reflect the views of the station. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research Incorporated, a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA and SIPC. Investment Advisor Representative, Cambridge Investment Research Advisors Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Indices mentioned are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Asset allocation and diversification strategies cannot assure profit or protect against loss. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Capital Retirement Strategies and Cambridge Investment Research are not affiliated. Alright, welcome to Plan for Life Now, episode number 74. Oh boy, we're almost hitting our 75th anniversary. And we've actually had this conversation about what the anniversaries are called on a previous podcast, so we're not going to go there. But it seems like it's been a long time since we did the last podcast. Is that just me or or we're still in the right intervals? No, it it has. I mean, we're a little late in December here because you might not be hearing this till. The last week in December, we're recording December 23rd. Um, or January. So, well, yeah, that's it. Might, you might not be listening until January. So we apologize if we're a little slow getting the one out this month, but actually have been pretty busy with uh, end of year stuff. And, you know, everybody starts thinking about their money around the end of the year, beginning of the year. So been dealing with all of that, but otherwise everything is uh, is going well. Um, so what we wanted to do, and Dave, I even wrote down a tentative title for this, and this is kind of a working title as I was jotting down notes. I wrote down setting the stage for 2021. Perfect. Cause I was hoping we would do a podcast that would basically be what you're the annual pre- predictive of whatever's going on next year. Right. And, but and remember if you listen to last year's podcast that we did, we both predicted there would be some crazy virus that would shake up the world <laughs> and markets. Go back and listen. Uh, yeah, don't. Um, and remember, we don't do predictions, right? We're not in the prediction business, but it is certainly interesting to look at and comment on all of the people out there that are in the prediction business. And that's, of course, a whole business in and of itself. So, Part of setting the stage for 2021, I wanted to kind of go over, you know, where we are right now and, and discuss some of the, you know, some of the bigger points that people are debating. Um, so of course the question is always about, you know, are stocks overvalued right now? Um, you know, we're sitting here at the end of December with two vaccines that are being distributed. Of course we have no idea, you know, uh, other vaccines that will be approved or how distribution and manufacturing will proceed and and when we can really get back to normal. But it looks like, as you've mentioned before, it looks like there's some light at the end of the tunnel there. Um, you know, we're, we're dealing with fewer unknowns now than we were a couple of months ago. Yeah, it looks like part of the year, a portion of the year for 2021 will be whatever we're going to call back to normal. Right. Back to normal will change a little bit, but 
to me, back to normal is I go into a restaurant and I'm not worried about a mask. Correct. That's like one of my highlights of back to normal. But <laughs> yeah, so you know that is going to be part of 2021. Which part we're not exactly sure. If I had to guess, I would say I get the gut feeling by the time you get to around summer, <clears throat> it's going to be a lot more like it was before. Yeah. Um, but I mean, here are the concerns is, you know, as we're sitting here right now, the S&P 500 is up about 15% on the year, uh, or a little bit shy of that, which is just absolutely amazing to say, given everything that we've gone through. Um, you know, that brief refresher from middle of February down to middle of late part of March, we we're down about 34% on the S&P 500. So the fact that we were able to bounce back, not only get back to even, but be up about 15% on the year is pretty incredible. Now, whenever you listen to any of these predictions, and we're going to go through sort of, you know, both sides of the coin, somebody who's relatively bullish, somebody who's very bearish, actually a couple of people, um, you're always going to hear things like this. You're going to hear things that, that say the market today is just like it was in fill in the blank, right? Yeah. And, you know, fill in the blank is often 1929, right? It's just today like it was in 1929 or it's just like it was in 1987, or the one that we've been hearing a fair amount for the past couple of years is 1999. And of course, 1999 was right at the end of the tech bubble um, when you had all these companies, you know, anything dot com was going up 100% per year and it was, it was ridiculous. Um, so you're always going to hear those parallels and it can be drawn on PE ratios. It can be drawn on price to book ratios or, you know, a million other metrics that you can come up with. But if you've listened to us, you know, more than once or twice, you know um, that we don't put a whole lot of predictive power in those, those one-off type of data points. You know, and I've often talked about the data point that for years they used to throw out there about, you know, whoever wins the, uh, the uh, Super Bowl, you know, that was going to predict the stock market. Right, so if NFC wins, great. AFC okay. wins, no. Right, but bad. that's not, that's like a dartboard. So something yeah. more like when you look at the tech bubble, you know, I thought about that. <clears throat> when you think about the tech bubble, and the reason it might not be predict yet, the tech stocks are super high. They might be PE ratio super high. But back in the tech bubble, if you'll remember, they had no idea how to monetize a website. Right. I mean, that's like the Stone Ages compared to that. We, we, the, the internet has been monetized. Yep. It might be overvalued, but we're not in, that would be a, a, when obviously it's easy to look back. But to see, okay, wow, this internet thing, people are looking at it. How do we monetize it versus where we are today? That, I, that's not a direct parallel, but that's sort of what you're talking about. You can't make these direct no, exactly. parallels. So, you know, we've got to go into this discussion with with a couple of, I don't know if they'd be agreed points, but I'm going to throw them out there as things that we can more or less, you know, kind of nod our heads and agree that, that are true. Um, you know, one thing is the fact that stocks are certainly not super cheap. 
Um, now, when you say cheap, usually what people are referring to is the price to earnings ratio. So the price of the stock relative to the earnings per share. Um, but, you know, there's, of course, other metrics. And one of the ones that gets thrown out there an awful lot, um, Dave, are you familiar with this CAPE ratio uh, by Robert Schiller? Honestly, I've heard of it because of you, but I don't know it. <laughs> okay. Honest. Yeah, well, they, I, and believe me, every time I, I see it, I, you know, I see it an awful lot, and I always have to refresh myself as to exactly what it means. So the CAPE ratio just takes that old price to earnings ratio, but it's called CAPE because it's cyclically adjusted price to earnings. And it basically takes earnings of companies over a 10 year time period instead of, you know, the last 12 months or, or, you know, predictive going in the future 12 months. And why I bring that up is because people will often say, well, you know, we're higher than the CAPE ratio. Uh, so stocks have to come down. Um, but I saw something that said, you know, the, we've been higher than the CAPE ratio for every month for the last 30 years, except for 10 months during the financial crisis, right? So, you know, maybe it's got some predictive powers long term, but you, you can't always use those things as a be all and end all. All right. So point one is that stocks are not cheap. Point two, um, just because stocks aren't cheap doesn't mean they can't continue to go up. So we've seen many cases where stocks are expensive by all metrics and have continued to go up for several years. So, you know, we, we kind of have to, uh, to assume that anything can happen there, that stocks not being cheap is not a great predictor of what's going to happen next. All right. So now let's get into... Uh, who's predicting what and what are they predicting? So Dave, I sent you a link to a podcast. Um, and I'll even include the link to the podcast here down below. Um, it's from a guy by the name of Josh Brown. Um, Josh Brown, he goes by on Twitter, I think the reformed broker. Um, and he's a financial commentator, writer, um, who's out there and, and he's got a lot of good stuff. And he was interviewing an economist, Brian Westbury. And Brian Westbury is an economist for First Trust Company. They produce a lot of ETFs, mutual funds, UITs, things like that. And they had a, what was it, about a half-hour discussion? Um, yes. Kind of all about the markets, where they think things are going, where we've been, all of that. Right. And, and I, I will say, you know, Brian Westbury is pretty well known for being – very bullish, right? So he's, <laughs> he's incredibly bullish. I remember reading, uh, reading some article from him in the middle of the financial crisis, uh, that basically said that, you know, stocks, you know, really should be up at Dow should be at 20,000, blah, blah, blah. And I sent it to a client, right? This was back in 2008. Yeah. And when the Dow had fallen to about $6,500 or 6,500 points, um, that client managed to dig out this article that I had sent to him and throw it back in my face and basically say, look, look how great uh, Brian Westbury's predictions were. Right. Um, so that'd be the last time you'd do something like that. Well, I heard his, I heard that podcast and it's unlike most financial podcasts. Um, it sounded more like the host sounded like a sportscaster and he was making this Brian Westbury guy out to sound like the Bill Belichick of stocks. Yeah. Uh, 
that's sort of how it sounded to me. And certainly, and I, once you get into this, he, this man had a formula for figuring things out. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, the first thing that they, they were going through was just talking about, okay, so Biden's the president elect, um, despite all the shenanigans that have been going on. Um, you know, I think we could agree on that point. Um, Biden's the president elect. Uh, you know, first of all, Biden is not an anti-banks guy. Right. I mean, he's from Delaware. Or, you know, most banks are uh, headquartered in Delaware or at least incorporated there. Um, he's not particularly an anti Wall Street guy. Right. And this is not Bernie Sanders going to tear down, tear everything down. Um, and they pointed out, you know, one of the things uh, where he might be you know, much better than Trump on is on tariffs. Um, and they pointed to I forget the exact number, but basically pointing to some statistics that said that Trump's tariff policy and his failed trade war with China really cost us, you know, some percentage point in GDP growth. So, you know, for whatever it's worth, their opinion was, okay, we've got Biden. He's not, you know, he's not the end of the world like some Republicans might think it is. Um, and he's probably going to be decent for, for Wall Street. So, where does Westbury come in with his prediction? Ultimately, he came in with a prediction of about 15% growth on the market for next year. And I thought this was interesting. He's got a formula that he uses, and I guess his firm uses, that takes the 10-year treasury, and it doesn't look at earnings that companies report, and you know they, they make earnings announcements, they say blah, 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 earnings per share, but they look at earnings that companies actually pay taxes on. Right. Um, and it's some sort of formula where they divide the earnings by the treasury yield. Now, the interesting thing about his initial prediction is he said, if you go in right now with a treasury yield of 0.8% or wherever it stands, right. you're basically going to get a prediction that the S&P 500 will quadruple you know, in the next year. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, despite how bullish you might be, I think that's probably uh, that's probably out right. there. It is, uh, and he even said that that's okay. That's my formula, but yeah, that's not happening. But <laughs> you so know, he but but that's a bullish formula, and it, it rolls. It goes back to a basic. Even though he's got this whole thing worked out, the bottom line is, if you're thinking if these interest rates are going to be historically low. Um, why would the stock market go down? I, I think that's sort of the layman's way of putting it. Yeah, and I mean that is, you know, that is uh, something that that you have to stress when you look at the earnings, the PE ratios in these companies. Is the lower that interest rates are, the higher PE ratios can be, and still have it make sense. Um, so when you've got a ten-year Treasury that's less than one percent. You know, you can support higher PE ratios than that, than, than normal. Um, so anyway, Westbury came in and said, okay, well, let's, let's get rid of this 0.8% prediction for 10 year treasuries or not prediction this is currently fact. And let's put in something like a 2% number. Um, and that's where he came back with the 15% growth number. And he sort of weighed in on this, this discussion, discussion that everyone's had is, 
it are the growth stocks that we've seen really dominate the market. So we've talked about these many times, the Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Google, Microsoft. You know, are those companies overvalued and due for a big correction, or will they continue to lead the way? You know, that's that's where a lot of the innovation and growth has come from. Um, and he was sort of of the opinion that, you know, these companies, they make money. So unlike 1999, you're not talking about companies that have no earnings or no profits. I mean, these are very profitable companies. Um, it's just, is it worth it to pay 80 times earnings for Amazon or 60 times earnings? You know, that's a big question. Right. Um, so his thought was these companies will still make money, but we might see this rotation a little bit more towards value rather than growth because growth has dominated so much for the last, you know, last several years, but in particular this, this past year or so. So. That's a pretty rosy prediction, wouldn't you say, Dave? I would say, considering we're at all-time highs, or close to all-time highs now, based on when you're listening to this, <laughs> that's pretty rosy. Yeah. So when you actually do the numbers on 15%, it's like, okay, it right. just keeps going up and up. So, <laughs> let's contrast that um, to something. First, Dave, there was something that you sent to me. And uh, a guy that I'd never heard of by the name of Mark Yusko. Uh, and the, the headline of the article was, Expert predicts 61% sell-off over the next two years. And Mark Yusko, uh, he's a hedge fund supervisor. And he basically, you know, took a look. And, and, I mean, the big argument here is that the valuations on stocks are just way too high. Um, that you just can't justify the overvaluation. You know, he, he calls out here Amazon, Facebook, Microsoft, Apple, and Alphabet, which is, of course, the holding company for Google now, um, and says you can't justify these earnings. And so based on this, you're going to have a big decline in the market. He says it'll play out uh, not quickly, wouldn't be a crash all at once, but it would kind of slowly bleed off over 18 to 24 months. Right. Um, which would be, which is interesting because when I read that, and I guess one of the reasons I sent it off to you, so maybe we could talk about it, was if you were, were to be brutally honest, this is not everybody listening. It's a lot of people listening. It's a lot of our clients who are already retired. When you look at COVID and you look at the damage economically, most of the people listening to this podcast were not the ones who were damaged yeah, big time. Right. Not, I mean, hopefully not health, but some health-wise. But I meant economically, where yeah. especially when you're retired, <laughs> when you're retired, it's your money that is the thing that you're worried about. And the stock market had roller coaster, but an amazing year. Certainly, if you kept steady, and I know our clients did, and thank you, a lot of our clients have thanked us for the year, which was extremely nice and humbling of you. I thank you. For the year, for your patience and understanding and dealing with this year and then ultimately prospering from this year. But that's ultimately what this was. That, that prediction is really the opposite of that. Think about some, think about a restaurant owner who this year was horrific if they're still in business. Yeah. Small business. But let's say in the next two years, 
the shots work out well, they get back, they build up their restaurant or their chain again. Maybe those next two years are good for them, but I got news for you. People not preparing for a retirement or thinking they don't have to or in retirement not prepared to have what that guy's prediction were to come true, a long-term down, right? not just a month or two months, but two years, <laughs> that is as catastrophic to a retiree or someone who hasn't planned for retirement who's 60 years old as a restaurant owner during COVID. Yeah, and I mean, I, we should really point that out because – you know, I, I, like I said, I don't know this Mark Yusko, um, guy, but I mean, he, you know, he's making this prediction and you see a lot of predictions like this. I mean, I got an email from another client of a guy who I had heard of, Harry Dent, who's predicting a 40% decline by April. Um, and, you know, I'd heard of Harry Dent before. And so I just, you know, Google him real quick. And on Wikipedia, you can go in there and you can find uh, about a dozen predictions that he's made over the last 10 years or so that are just like this current one that say <laughs> market's going to go down. And they're all, you know, I've said this before, they're all well-reasoned, well-rationed out, you know, thought, well-thought-out arguments, and they just didn't come true. And that doesn't mean the next one won't come true. But the important thing when you look at any of this is, okay, maybe he's right. Maybe it's going to go down 40% by April. Okay. Um, first of all, are we willing to risk that? Because, of course, it could be wrong. If he is right, do we have enough money that we can ride things out until everything ultimately recovers? Because – I think even some of the most bullish or some of the most bearish people out there, they might predict some short-term losses. In general, though, they are believers in capitalism and in the long-term growth of stocks. So they might say, okay, yeah, it's going down 40%, but you give me 10 years, you know, I think we'll get 6 to 8% per year growth. Well, the key in there is if it goes down 40%, are you positioned so that you can withstand that? You can yeah, pull well, income. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that obviously if you're one of our clients, you know that that's what we prepared. The Yusko prediction, which prob I mean, I don't like to say this. I'm not going to say probably won't come true, but, you know, let's hope it doesn't come true. Right. Or that Harry Dent guy who I am more familiar with because he's just such a, a bear. He's just throwing darts at the bear dartboard. Eventually one will hit and then he's a genius. Right. You know, you hope these things don't come true. But when it comes to, and obviously we've already done this for our clients, but when it comes to, you know, planning for your retirement, you have to prepare for that. That has to be a part of your plan. It's like, okay. oh, well, the big earthquake I haven't had a huge earthquake that would really cost me money in San Francisco since that World Series between the A's and the Giants at the end of the 80s. Yes, yep. you still need earthquake insurance uh, <laughs> when it comes to your retirement because that can't you can't not be prepared for that. You can't be at the level, quite frankly, and I was, you know, when I think about this year coming up, <clears throat> I think about, it reminds me, <laughs> I'm going back to exactly what I'm being a hypocrite now from the beginning of the podcast. This reminds me of how, you you know, I would look at whatever, 2006 or to when you have a market high. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to have a 2008, two years from now. But it does mean when your money 
you know, let's say you're 60 years old or 62 and you're going to want to retire in three years and you haven't done any planning yet, but you certainly have money in the market, you know, and you, you could say, you know, I'm in great shape. Well, that's what people were thinking in 2006. But then when 2008 happened and they didn't do any planning, <laughs> they had to actually delay retirement or couldn't retire. Right. Or, or didn't do the moves that were necessary, and and really without getting technical because we're not in this. Again, a lot of you listening to this podcast know that you've already done these moves. It's not like you're not making money during a, a good market. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just tempering. It's not even. I don't, I don't even like saying tempering greed. It's just basically organizing assets in a certain way to do exactly what Steve said, which is when things are down, no matter how long they're down, you don't have to panic about having enough money. Or, and most importantly, sell your stocks or stock type holdings when they're low. That's the key to everything. <laughs> Don't we sell always, your stocks well, when they're low. Well, it always leads to this, but it's interesting in predicting. When you look at these two predictions, one is the market might go up 15%. What do I have to do to prepare for that? Nothing. <laughs> I, I don't mean even protect, let's say you're not one of our clients and you haven't prepared for retirement. You should, but you haven't. The market goes up 15% this year. Well, what happened? Nothing. It was, that was good. That's fine. That's great. Right. It's always the opposite thing that needs to be prepared for. And, and a lot of people were not. Let's look at even the last two years, three years. A lot of people have gotten into the position to be able to position themselves for a comfortable retirement. What are they, you know, are, are those people going to now do what needs to be done to secure that retirement, or are they going to roll the dice? Doesn't mean if they roll the dice that things are going to go down. They could go, keep going up. But, you know, that's the basic. This is a, this podcast is called Plan for Life Now <laughs> for a reason. It's right. like when things are up, when you've achieved what you need to achieve, and yet things can go up more, and that's great. You, and you're at this age, this critical age, which used to be 55. If we ever do our seminars again in person, which we will, by the way, <laughs> we may have to start calling it retirement strategies for people 60 and over, hmm. as retirement is being pushed back farther and farther. But it, it, in these critical times, and like right now, I hope people don't make the same mistake they made in 2006, which was I don't really need to do anything and things will never really be that bad. I withstood the coronavirus crash. I can withstand anything. No, (laughs) that's not the crash you have to withstand. It's more of the long term, the marathon bear that we haven't had in a long, long time. That's the real danger for our listeners. Yep. That's it. Well, on that note, we will leave you. And uh, Happy New Year, everybody. (laughs) I'm going to say, if you celebrate Christmas, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year to everyone. And we will check back, check back in with you in 2021.